business owners likely will have only one shot to sell a business. Most don't understand what drives value and how buyers look at a business. Until now. Welcome to the How to Sell a Business podcast, where every week we talk to the subject matter experts, advisors, and those around the deal table about how to sell at maximum value. Every business will go to sell one day. It's only a matter of when. We're glad you're here. The podcast starts now. On today's episode, I had the opportunity to visit with Genevieve Rogers of PEMDAS Winery Solutions. And she, boy, I can't even begin to tell you everything that we learned during her episode. It went a little bit longer, and she was so generous with her time. But she's a winery consultant. And and if you just Google her name, you will find that she is everywhere. And so she's a she's an MBA. She's an engineer by trade. She's also um, she's a level three of the Wine and Spirit Educational Trust. She does all kinds of work as far as strategic planning, uh, company or winery positioning. And she was just such a wealth of knowledge. And and I guess. The reason I really wanted to have her on was number one, I I don't know anything about wineries. We've are we've sold a few in the last probably five, ten years. Um but they were difficult sales. And there's a lot of believe it or not, there are a lot of wineries throughout the country, and those business owners at some point will want to sell. So I so the rough rule of thumb is that it takes one to two years to sell a winery. And I wanted to learn what, where's the risk in the winery, how to mitigate that risk, and then how to effectively transfer those businesses. And she did not disappoint. She was, like I said, so generous with her time and such a, such a wealth of knowledge. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Genevieve Rogers of PEMDAS Winery Solutions. I'm your host, Ed Meisigland. On this podcast, I interview buyers, sellers, and advisors about what creates value in a business and then how that business is effectively sold at a premium value because, because sellers now or sellers and business owners now understand what creates values in their company. So on today's show, uh, I am, you have no idea how excited I am to, to visit with Genevieve Rogers from Pem, PEMDAS Winery Solutions. And I am, I am such a novice at anything wine related. I have a, a buddy of mine, um, John Baker that, that always makes me look good as far as wine selection. So I'm, I'm fortunate to have somebody in my corner, but now I'm going to get a lot smarter because I got Genevieve. So Genevieve, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ed. I am pleased to be here. So tell me about PEMDAS Winery Solutions and, and for the, and you, you have to, I haven't seen any business named PEMDAS, but I know what it means. So tell me about it. Well, that's why I picked it is, uh, I, and I'm an engineer by my original training. And so, uh, sort of a math geek. So I, when I started this, this business, I really wanted to help people work through how to start a winery, how to run a winery, how to have a winery in an organized manner. 
And so being a math geek, I came to PEMDAS, which is how you, in a organized method, solve a mathematical equation. You know what, that, what, that makes total sense. I, that, that's a great, great way to look at how, how your practice is. I, I, I wouldn't have guessed it, but you know, I, I always just figured it was, you know, you were just messing with acronyms, but there was, there was a substantially more thought that went into it. And that, that's awesome. Probably too much thought, but yes, yes. <laughs> and it's interesting to me, there's people who are in certain groups that see PEMDAS and say, oh, I know what that is. It's in that math. And people who look at me and say, like, uh, what is what is that? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, and which I think is really interesting. But um, since I like math, it works for me. I get it. So, so you're based out of Oregon, right? Well, that's where my home is. Uh, but I work I get it. My clients are all over the United States, and okay. I have some international clients. Um, so I do a lot of, you know, a lot of my work from home office, a lot of my work over the internet with clients, things that can be shared electronically. And then um, I do winemaking uh, consulting on site for clients. And so then I travel and I'll be at the winery. <laughs> Well, awesome. So I, I, I'll apologize in advance um, for some of the silly questions that that I'm certain I'm going to ask um, that probably would be rudimentary to, to, to folks like you. So I, I appreciate the latitude. But the first thing that I, I guess we should talk about is that there's differences in 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 wineries. Like you were talking about case thresholds like there's the the larger the larger operations versus the smaller operations and i think the people that that listen to this podcast are probably more geared to the smaller side but can you talk about because there are some substantial differences right other than volume there are some really big differences and it's almost like being in two different industries and and people can think about it in like the difference between your local hardware store and Home Depot. And that's kind of where the winery is. So you have some really, really big players in the United States and across the world that make millions of cases of wine. But most of the wineries in the world, most of the wineries in the United States are making less than 5,000 cases of wine annually. So, What you see in the stores, and if you're going to grocery stores, you're seeing primarily the big wineries, really big million million cases annually of wineries. And then you might see some local wineries that are smaller scale, and you might see some wineries that are kind of mid-size that make specific products of a specific value that they're big enough to be picked up through distribution and sold across across the nation. But the majority of wineries are really fairly small, under 10,000 cases and wineries that are like family owned, you know, they're they're small. So sure. their the cost basis is very very different. And um 
the way they sell wine is very different because their cost basis is so different than selling through the distribution market is is taking their margin and cutting it at least in half. And oh, so, oh, okay. so, so that becomes a, a real boundary for small business, for small wineries. Is like, can I take my, when I have a higher cost basis, am I going to be able to sell it at half? Oh, I get to it. sell it through distribution. So it sets up really sure. two different, almost two different industries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that explains a little bit about why you see all of these small operations having, you know, um, you know, what's the best way to put, um, like on site, you know, I don't, I don't want to say tourism type winery. But it seems as though that is more so why they do it because that's that's how they get the distribution as opposed to going through your your normal dis- distribution chain, right? That's that, correct. And and really, if you look at what the sales distribution for small wineries, and you look at averages, and you look at wineries that are that are doing well. They're, they should be selling 85 plus percent of their sales directly to the consumer. So oh, you're either well. doing it through your tasting yeah. room, you're doing it through yep. your wine club, you're doing it through your website. That's, that's your direct to consumer market. And for small wineries, like if you're under 20,000 cases, the vast majority of your sales should be through those markets. So then you need a tasting room somewhere where you connect with customers. Uh, if you're a huge winery, it, there's not a whole lot of value in that for you. I, I get it. Well, and, and now that, that totally makes sense. Um, one of the, one of the things that I, I guess, can you take me from, Cradle to grapes. So we we start with grapes, and then we end with a bottle of wine in the consumer's hand. Can you? I mean, what are the, what is the mechanics of all of that from a high level? You don't have to get too far in the weeds. So, but so I know you work with startups. I do. I do work with startups. So there's, um, I like to say that there's three different types of people in a winery. The first type of person okay. is a farmer. So you're going to grow okay. grapes, and grapes are a perennial. They're a lot more like having an orchard than other other types of fruit because you'll plant and you'll plant for the next 25 years. That, that plant's going to grow for 25 years, if not more. So it's a real dedication to the land, to that crop, to those individual plants. And you want a, a good winery that has its own grapes. You don't have to. But a good winery that has its own grapes is growing grapes that work with that climate and those soils and that produce a wine that customers like. And you have to do okay. all of those things. So grapes are kind of a weed. They'll grow anywhere. But what you need okay. is you need a grape 
that will grow well, that will give you volume and quality in which to make a product that people are going to like at the price point that you need to sell it for. Okay. You have to do can all I ask of you those. a question about can I ask you about the grapes? Sure. So so if I'm a farmer, does the does the winery owner if I don't if I don't own the farmland and mm-hmm. do I get exclusivity? Do, do, is that how how it works? Or if I'm a farmer, I'm just gonna I'm gonna sell it to anybody that needs my grapes. You know, most most wineries have contracts with okay. farmers. It sort of, a little bit depends on the area that you're in um, and the ability to get grapes. Uh, if you're oh. if you're a farmer and you are growing grapes really well, you should look for contracts that are long term, and you build a relationship. And that's really what a winery wants too, because the winemaker wants consistency, and they want to be able to direct the grape growing practices. And so, for that, oh. you need a relationship. So the winery that hires the that contracts with the farmer, they have control over certain aspects of the farming other than just the product? It's you know, it's by contract. And so everything is everything okay. is a little different. Sometimes wineries uh will have long term contracts and then it makes sense for those two organizations to work together and, and farm in a certain manner. Uh, and then yeah. wineries will often get to a point where they'll be growing or where they're, the volume that they're getting from one farm isn't enough because of the year and they buy basically on the spot market. And then you're just getting whatever someone grew. I see. All right. So first thing he says, three parts. We had farmers. What's our second part? The second part is the winemaker. So the winemaker is this person who has a really high attention to detail, is somewhere between a scientist and an artist. They, they make the wine. And, and I like to say like a good winemaker is a little bit OCD. There's a lot of attention to how the wine is made on a, on a daily, hourly basis. And you want someone who's really methodical. And then you, and so that person is going to bridge the, the two parts. They will direct some of the growing to get the raw product that meets their quality standards and their chemistry that they're looking for. And then they work with the sales, which is the third person, to make a wine that's going to match what's being sold. Got it. Um, So, go ahead. And so the the winemaker is going to get the grapes in. They process it. You harvest, you ferment it. There's different processes during fermentation. Um, and then you press it and you put it into tanks or barrels to age it. And then you, okay. and then you bottle it and, and bottling then goes to this third person who is the sales 
management person. Got it. So on the on the on the the scientist or the chemist, how hard is it to find somebody that does that? Is that is that just some somebody you hire or is that typically the owner? Yes. Um, <laughs> for small wineries, it is typically the owner. Uh, and the owner okay. either has that background. I, and I see, I see a lot of first time owners that have backgrounds in engineering. Um, okay. So the owner either has that background or they go out and get that. Um, you and can how do you get, it? well, there are, there are programs around the country that, teach winemaking to adults who have already graduated. So Cornell has a program, Penn State has a program, uh, University of California Davis has a program, San Francisco, there's a whole bunch of programs around the country where you can take online or in-person classes as a professional already. And so does, but go ahead. And you get a certification. Finish your thought. I've... You get a certification in winemaking, and that gives you enough knowledge to to produce a um, you know a commercial grade wine, huh? I I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known that. Yeah, well, and you can go the route. I mean, that's sort of the route I took. Um, I have an engineering okay. degree. I have an MBA. When my family started a winery, nobody had ever made wine. Uh, and so I took classes. I became the winemaker uh, with my engineering sure. degree and my MBA. And I took classes and I worked with a consultant or a couple of consultants. Okay. And so I, so I was learning, but also I was, you know, the consultant would say, okay, do this today. I and I would go and do that. But then I was learning at the same time. So you can do both. Um, you can okay. do one or the other. It really depends on your temperament and how much work you want to put into it. Because there is a lot that you need to know to make wine well. Um, or you can well, hire and that's somebody. What I, that's, yeah, well, and that's what I was getting at is that it, it seems like the astute the astute wine people in my life, they are, they are always talking about different things about the wine. And so when you start, when, when we're talking about chemistry and stuff, I'm sitting here going, okay, how, how, how do I learn this over, you know, online um, in order to, to be able to produce something in, in a, in a manner that, that is, um, attractive to the consumer. You know what I mean? But I mean, it makes sense. So you, you worked with somebody and and that's probably what other people do too. And I, and I do it. It's one of the things that I do um, is I come to wineries and I train people to take over my job basically. And so, um, and while I'm not there, they're doing the work. We're, we're talking, I'm saying do this, they do that, but they're also learning intensely on why, this is happening so that they can then take well, I thought it was so much. Yeah. I thought it was, it was so much more about tasting and tailoring it based on a, 
you know, kind of a, a, a palette that you were going for. Well, and there is, and that it is too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's a, that's why I said it. So how do we do it? Yeah. So it's science and art because you, I get it. You okay. can't do it straight on the chemistry. So when Got the it. wine and wine is made usually during fermentation is, is really when the wine is made yeah. and that's a couple of weeks. And during that okay. time, so if I'm making wine and I'm at a winery, I will taste every every single tank, barrel, lot in the winery at least once a day, if not twice a day, if not three times a day. And then I will make changes to how the fermentation is going based on, oh. based on those tastes. So you do have to do both and and you also have to understand if i want a product that tastes a certain way at the end after it's aged what do i need to do now during fermentation in order to get that and and that's something that takes you have to have the mind for it but you also have to have some experience doing that i get it all right so you you had talked to on the third part, which is the sales. Um, So what is at this level? I mean, what is the optimum route to maximum value? Who, who is, I think we've established that probably you don't want to go to a distributor because you don't have the volume to accommodate that. So it it sounds to to me that it's direct to consumer and, you know, the ways that if I, if I heard you right, was your, your tasting room, uh, events and online, right? Those are the three, or did it, I miss and any? wine club, which is oh, which is actually yeah. the backbone. So the best thing that someone can do, if someone has a winery or is starting a winery, the most important thing that they can do is determine what experience they are creating their wine. That is the, by far, the most important thing that a winery can do to be successful is what experience do I want people to have when they visit, when they come to my winery and do it, come to an event, when they taste my wine at home, when they come to my website, what do I want them to feel? What am I creating for them? Because... What people, people who love wine and get into the industry think that it's all about the wine because that's what's been important to them while they've been drinking wine is it's about the wine. This wine is fantastic because of this criteria, but that's not actually how wine is sold. Wine is sold based on the experience that people have and the wine is integral but not only not it's not always the most important, but it is integral. Okay. So that's the first thing that people should do is really, and if they have a winery and and they're thinking like I would like to sell this at some point, they need to nail that down. What am I creating? And then figure out is that what I think I'm creating or what I'm actually creating? Because those two things can be different. Sure. And then does everything match? 
is the experience I'm trying to create, does that match the wine that I'm selling? Is it match the prices that I'm selling it at? Does the label match? How about the packaging? How about my website? And when people call me on the phone, does that all, is it all consistent? So, but when you're making wine, when you're, when you're sub 20,000 cases, is it cases? Cases. Yeah, cases. cases. So, yeah. So, so how does... I mean, I follow. I follow what you're saying. I'm. I'm. What I'm trying to. What I'm trying to reconcile with is, can can they, you know, uh, can they create that brand consistency that you're talking about? You know, and and again, it's back to the, it's back to the wine. You know, so you have a great product, and so how do I? How do I make everything downstream tie together? You know right. what I mean? And and I'm certain that's that's the that's the trick in your in your industry is is you know, you if if they knew you wouldn't have a job. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so this is true. So, and this is why I so get how myself do, how out do, of a job how do I teach I, people how to do this. So so yeah. you start first with the experience. So, and what you want people to okay. you what do you want people to have? So there's, there's a winery in Napa called Opus One. And I use it okay. because lots of people know it. It's, it's, they make a single wine, one wine a year, period. Okay. They, and they tell you this is a singular wine. It's part of their vision statement is it's a singular wine that transcends generations. That's their vision statement. So okay. that's what they do. So if you imagine in your head, okay, well, what does that look like? It's going to, the place is going to be I guess. something you remember. You're going to look at that building and go, oh, that's it. That looks like yeah. an homage to wine. That looks like a wine museum where the best wines would be stored, Right. Then your price is going to mm-hmm. match that. So that's not a twenty dollar bottle of wine. That's a three hundred, four hundred dollar bottle of wine. So all they do a really good job, and that's why I use them, is because everything matches. So same, but it doesn't have to be the best of the best. You can have a place where families come. Families come and they have a great time together. Well, what does that look like for a wine? It's going to be a lower price point. You're going to have a bigger breadth of wine. Some of it will probably be sweeter off dry. You're going to have whites and reds. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how you progress through this. I got it. And I think that's where business owners get themselves in trouble is they're, they're looking at volume rather than looking look, look, playing the long game and get the experience down and, and the, and the money and the, you know, the, the profit will follow. I, that, that totally makes sense. And, and part um, of the thing is, is something that you <laughs> kind of maybe didn't realize you were alluding to at the beginning. Most consumers don't really know a lot about wine. Like you're not unusual. Most consumers don't know a lot about wine. They 
like what they like. They've tasted a wine. It tastes mm-hmm. good to them. That's what they know. And so when you think about it in that manner, it's really not as much about the wine itself because people don't know a lot about the wine. What they know is that they had a good time. Everybody enjoyed themselves and, and, or someone that they know recommended this. They probably drank it together. Right. And so wine, especially for small wineries really need to get out of, and and this is hard because I'm a winemaker you really need to get out of this idea that it's all about the wine because it's not. Okay. That, no, that's, that's, that's great advice. So, um, you know, you were, we were talking about the farmers mm-hmm. earlier and how, I mean, we've got some pretty funky, uh, weather going on, you know, these days, <laughs> you know, how, how does that affect you know the you know because one of the things you were talking about and and when we when when we talked last was how you know how important it is to kind of foresee you know what what is the outlook for the region and I guess as a business owner you know you know I I value companies all the time and one of the things the tenants is is what does the future look like for this particular investment and I'm looking I'm looking at a winemaker and they're trying to forecast what the what the the farmland and the farmer and the the climate looks like down the road so how how do you do that and how do you pivot if it goes back? <laughs> well, so, um, you know, one of the benefits for winemaking is, like I said, wine grapes are kind of like a weed. They, they will okay. do well in a climate range. So, okay. so, but you do want to target the varieties that is going to do better in your climate range. And there's a lot of them. Uh, and, and then in okay. part of it is you go to uh, your, if you're in the United States, you go to your extension program, which works with agricultural and farms. And you, and you say to them, what's growing in, in my state. And, uh-huh. and you work to make sure that the land is going to be good for grapes and that you pick the right grapes for it. And then there is some looking forward and, and it depends on how much risk you want to take. If you plant a grape right now, you'll get a good crop in five years. The climate's probably not going to change substantially in that five years to make this grape non-viable. It's still going to be viable. It will still be viable in 10 years. There might be a grape that's kind of on the edge of your climate that you may take a risk on and say, I'm going to plant that now because I can see what's been happening with with the climate in my region. And this is going to be really good in 10 years. That's, you know, that's a risk and it's, 
and it depends on how risk averse you are. Well, and that's what I was, you know, we were talking as it was a question I was going to ask that little down the road was, you know, it takes, especially in, in selling wineries. I mean, you're talking one, two years to, to sell it, to, to find the right buyer and to sell it. And then on top of it, the, you know, trying to see into the crystal ball, what my crops are going to look like or what my grapes are going to look like, you know, five, 10, 15 years down the road. And, and I guess my question is, how do I lock in the farmer? Do con, do contracts go out that far or are they one year and then one year renewables? The, you know what I mean? Contracts are all over the map. And and contracts okay. in the Midwest are very different than contracts in California, where 85% of the wine in the United States is made. So what is right. what is common is a multi-year contract that is more like four or five years um, or a one-year renewable contract. Okay. And, um, okay. and the contract, you know, the contracts are with the business, but there's a lot of contracts that are really with the owners. So if you're purchasing a winery yeah. that doesn't have its own grapes, you want to talk to their grape sources. And get a feel for, okay. you know, do I want to work with these people? Are they going to give me the quality that I need? Are they going to give me the volume that I need so I can be consistent and have a consistent cash flow? So why wouldn't someone do that? I mean, why would – if I'm a buyer and and you're a seller and I meet, I meet your, you know, your farmer and I, I like him or her and, and – yeah, you know, we kind of we kind of get along. What's I mean? Why wouldn't they do want to do business with me? You know, <laughs> I mean, is it all economic? No, or, it's not. It's because not we were talking economics. about this the not. other day about goodwill. Yeah, and I and I, you know, it's yeah. hard for me to answer that question because I've seen, you know, I've seen vineyard owners that say I want a five year contract. And, and let's write out how we're going to value the crop so that it's reasonable for everyone. I want to do that. And, and I want you to take all of my crop. Like everything I grow, I want you okay. to take. And then I've seen some yeah. growers yep. who say, I don't want, I want like five buyers every year. I don't want one buyer because I don't trust that they're going to do right by me every year. And so it's very individual. I get it. Uh, and and okay. part of it also depends on where you're located and what experience mm-hmm. those growers have makes a big difference too. And, and when I say experience, I mean experience working with wineries. Yeah, yeah. I follow him. Well, like I said, it's one of those things of, of boy, you know, you – Everything is sizing up risk and, you know, the prospect of losing your supplier that, because again, it's back to the, the, does, I guess my question then becomes, does the, does the farmer have the leverage over the business owner or the, the winemaker who has leverage it, it in that? It depends equation? on the scarcity, really. You know, if if oh, you're the only okay. grower, no, no. 
That makes sense. Then you're the only grower. You're the only game in town. If you're one yeah. of 50, then it. it doesn't. So that's where it really starts to make a difference. And then it's personality. You're working with people and it's okay. getting a good, you know, good mix that both people work together. Okay. So what, what do typical owners look like these days? What's an owner of a winery so look like? So small, for a small winery? Um, uh-huh. You know, it's all over the map. If I look at like my clients, I have clients who started wineries who are retired. They made some, they made money. And, um, and one, you know, one gentleman who just opened, who's just opening a winery in New Jersey said, you know, Genevieve, I spent my career making money and doing things for other people. Now I want to do something okay. for me. This is for me. So that is one group. Okay. Uh, another group is people. I, I get a lot of people who are younger than I am. So they're in their, they're in their 20s and 30s. I mean, I, I guess at my age, a lot of people are younger than I am, but they're in their 20s and 30s. And they, uh, some of them Me have too. legacy farms in, in their family. Okay. And, and then, yeah. and so now they're going to turn le- a legacy farm that was growing, you know, is growing corn or soybeans or something else and change the way that farm works. Um, and then it's all over the map. Usually it's people who have liked wine. Mm-hmm. And who want to do something different and they want to do something that they're going to love. And that's really important if you're going to buy a winery because people who buy wineries, unless you buying it for someone else to run, it will become your life. There's really not an in-between. So you want to love it. So, I get it. So if so, it seem it strikes me that that the avatar of somebody that wants to get into this business is a high net worth individual that is either on one side of the scale, meaning they're they're on you know they're at retirement age, looking for kind of the next the next chapter of their life. Or they're on the younger side and they're trying to set the world on fire, but yet they have the, the net worth to, to pour into something like this. Is, I, is that I true or not? I think that's true for the most part. Um, I find that the people who are younger okay. who are starting this, they're really bootstrapping it, uh, but they don't have to purchase the land. Okay. And so that makes a huge difference okay. in the how okay. much money and capital you need sure. to start it. Uh, and you can do that. It, but but I think you're right for the most part. We're gonna you're gonna be looking at people who who have equity and have money to spend, yeah. um, and either or have equity and have a, a group behind them that has the capital. I get it. So does. So how 
I know you just alluded to private to private investment. Um, I mean, do these things get financed through conventional means, like through the SBA or through through conventional banks, or or how, how are you familiar with that? And and I know I'm I'm kind of <laughs> j- jumping all over here, but I'm I'm just kind of curious you to know, see the, how that works. The bigger wineries, the, the bigger startup wineries, do get with. Um, commercial banks and and conventional loans Um, for smaller wineries. It's harder to it's, you really have to make the case and it it is one of the things that I do. So I create 10 year financial forecasts that you can take to a bank, Um, but you have to take it to a bank who understands what's going on because this is not something that you can just turn around the next year, right? It's in, in this is a right. long term project. So wineries are not wineries, startup wineries do not make money the first year or the second year. And they start getting to, hmm. to the black on an annual basis in their third or fourth year. But it does take five, six, seven, eight years to actually get truly profitable where you paid back your loans and all of your capital and and now Uh you're actually making money. Now, now are those capital sources – exclusive to the industry? I mean, it, because my, my, my point is I'm certain there's a lot of people that are probably listening saying, you know what, you know, if I get a, a buyer, you know, I'm going to call Genevieve because she knows where the capital is, you know, that the, you know, I have lenders that specialize or understand this industry and the risk the, profile. There are lenders, there you are those lenders people? that specify, that do, like, it, it is, let me just say, it's not my forte. Um, but, yeah, but sure. yes, there are most of them. A lot of them are in California or they're ag, they're, they're yeah. ag based banks. Um, you can get, Got you it. can qualify for SBA loans. Uh, it's, it's sort of a hard sell, but you can do it. And I've worked with the SBA. Um, but you really, you know, when you're, when you're, and you probably have had this experience, like when someone's trying to get funding for a project, you're going to be looking, if you're buying a winery, first you're looking at their cash flows. And do they have positive cash sure. flows for years, not just this year, but do they have a history of positive cash flows? That makes it goes a long way to a buyer saying, oh, you know, or a lender saying, yeah, I'll lend that to you because I'm looking at their years of positive cash flow. If you're starting up, sure, that's a more difficult sell. Yeah, sure. It always is. I get it. Um, I'm bumping up on time. Do you have, do you have time for I a do. few more questions? Um, all right. So on the, coronavirus you know how did how did that affect the smaller business did, did it affect the supply chain as as much as it did for a lot of the larger 
business, you know, the it larger did. wineries? It did affect or, the or supply no? chain. Uh, for the larger for for smaller wineries, primarily at the at the end of the of of making wine, which is bottling. Uh, small wineries have have and continue to have a very difficult time getting bottles. Uh, and that's been a problem. Yes. Really? And it's been a really, really substantial problem um, that is ongoing because what is happening in the Ukraine is affecting the cost of energy in Europe where a lot of the bottles are made and bottle making is high energy usage. I'll be and so not only are costs huh, going I up, no idea. but the supply is, is going down. That's, that's been the biggest as far as supply chain that's hit the industry is, okay. in, is in bottles. Um, the, the pandemic affected the industry differently in that it closed a lot of tasting rooms and the ability to, for people to come in to your, to your tasting room. Oh, and sure. so wineries had to pivot and right, the right. wineries that did well did pivot. They kept in touch with all their consumers. They worked their wine club. They worked online sales and classes and meet the winemaker. And they did all that. And the industry in the United States actually grew through the pandemic. Yeah, that, and, and that totally makes sense because one and as you know, one of my questions was, you know, as a, you know, as restaurants, as restaurant usage is declining, the the consumer usage it's growing is yep. growing, right? And so, yeah, and and to be and based on what you were saying on the the areas of of um, you know the areas where you cr- create value. You know, through the tasting room, through the through online, and through the wine club. I mean, it probably the pandemic for the smaller wineries. If you played it right, probably did it did pretty good yes. for you. That your margins actually yes. probably improved, right? Yeah, the wineries. Right. You know, the small wineries that were able that had a wine club to start with and built consumer loyalty and built interactions with their with their consumers over the years before the pandemic, they were able to leverage that and continue to give real value to their customers who stayed with them. And not only did they stay with them, but they bought more wine and, and their cost basis then went down because they didn't have an employee in a tasting room and have to staff that. Now they're staffing someone shipping wine and moving wine as opposed to the tasting room. So the wineries that did that really well, like they made out because now all of that infrastructure is still good. It's still viable. People still buy wine over the internet. They still want that interactions. So if I'm, you know, if I'm now looking, I'm a wine, uh, a winery buyer, I would look at, well, you know, yeah. show me how you did during the pandemic. Like, what is your wine club like now? How, how are your interactions? Because those have so, real value. But, 
But conversely, if I'm the buyer and I'm saying, oh, you didn't capitalize on the wine club, you didn't capitalize on the online, you know, from, from a, from a buyer standpoint, am I not sitting there saying, wow, I have a tremendous opportunity to take advantage of something you didn't? Or has that ship already it, it passed? It has not passed. That opportunity is always there. Um, and really from a buyer point of yeah. view, then what you would do is you would look at and they say, you know, wine club is based on the brand. The value of the wine club is 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 okay. how you value the band. Blank, sorry, how you value the brand. And so Okay. If they haven't done that, then the value of the brand, which is this, you know, what we call this goodwill amorphous value that we that we put on when we're selling something uh, that declines. And and most likely you're going to come out with a new brand and 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 do something else. So, yeah, it does give you that opportunity, but you're starting your starting point, though, is is then lower from a sales perspective. Right, right. No, I, 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 but if I'm the seller, you know what? I, I didn't take advantage. You know, I, I didn't, I chose not to, to do what, yeah, maybe I, I wasn't aware of what to do, but nevertheless, I mean, th- that's where the value is. And, and, and you, you talked about this a little bit when we originally talked was you know, this is this is the goodwill component is tends to erode very quickly. Meaning that there, you know, you've got you've got inventory, you've got the equipment, and now you have what what we're talking about is goodwill, and then goodwill separates into personal goodwill or the branding, and then you have corporate goodwill is, you know, the earning the earnings that you can forecast. So where I was going with this is I'm I'm curious to know if I'm a if I if you're coaching a seller, how do how do I how do I sell that I have that goodwill? Because the the equipment is right. what it is, you know. How do how do I demonstrate that I do have the goodwill? So I know you said, you know, I've got. I'm certain it's mailing list, um, you now wine club. But I mean, what what other things am I? It, it, how am I going to withhold with withstand the scrutiny of a buyer? Well, how would you coach a seller in that so, scenario? For the goodwill, you're really you're looking at a couple of things. One, you're looking at the wine club, which uh, which is going to okay. which is an annual income that is really easy to forecast and put a value on. Okay, okay. so that's a big piece, and that's probably going to be a a significant portion where you say, look, I got this value because I have a wine club and it's this size. Another thing that you're going to look at is how many people walk through your door. And if you're going to sell your, sell your winery, you should be counting those people and, and literally telling every single person who walks through your door because there's a potential sale. And as a winery consultant, I can tell you what that potential sale is. There's a there's a real value to 
many people walk through your door. You may take advantage of it or you may yeah. not. But I think that's a piece of the goodwill. And that has to do partly with your location, partly with your marketing, uh, how you're branded, how people know you. So those would be the yeah. two biggest things that I would that I would say, like maximize your value of those two things because you can really sell those, and that's those have are that goodwill value. I got it. What um, what do what do buyers look like i mean i i know we said what here's what a seller looks like we've got we've got our you know we're on both sides of the spectrum so buyers these days is, is it the same avatar or are you seeing are you see i guess my the first question is are you seeing wineries sell and two who's doing the buying so small wineries the the reality is most small wineries don't actually sell well and, and you talked about this, like it takes a couple of years. Okay. Most winery, small wineries don't actually sell well. And most of them just close. They because of what? haven't done, they're, they're not, they, they don't have these cash flows, right? They haven't done, either they don't know how okay, so or they were not able to, for whatever reason, they don't have this. And so their brand the winery brand doesn't have a lot of value. Now their property has value. The buildings have value. Their equipment yep. may or may not have value. Uh, unfortunately, a winery equipment, I was asked sure. today by someone who's, who's starting a winery and he says, well, how long in, do I keep this? And I told him, I said, well, I can hear your children in the background. They're the ones who will replace this equipment that you're buying. That's the lifespan of equipment and his yeah. children were young. So, okay. Um, so I was, we were talking about like, what does this person look like? People who are buying. So one, uh -huh. most wineries don't sell. There's, that's just the reality. Most wineries close. The wineries that sell are, are selling to someone who wants this as a lifestyle because it is a lifestyle. Yeah. You may be selling it to someone who has made money, who's been a, high, a real high achiever, like a lawyer or a surgeon or someone who's been in um, construction or building mm -hmm. and, and they've done something for a long period of time. They have equity and they have capital. Now they wanna do something for them. And that's the kind of lifestyle that they want to lead. I get it. Like those really are the buyers. Okay. Back to the sellers, though. If I'm, if I engage you, and 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 I have two questions that kind of go hand in hand. So, can you coach me if I'm a if I'm a business owner? Can, can you coach me into making my my winery a marketable asset to a buyer? And if so, how long does it take? 
And then the, I guess the third question is, how do, how do I work with someone like you? It seems to me like you're, you're going lots of places. How do, how do we work together so if, I, as a seller? If you're a seller and, and you want to sell your winery, I, it's a long-term process. Uh, unless your wineries sell, sale yeah. ready. Okay. Um, Up in yeah. So, How, if you're, what does that so mean? if you're yeah. sale ready, Tell me what that you means, have yeah. years of cash flow that are positive, that are consistent. You can show that you have put okay. in money to to keeping up your equipment, to keeping to training your staff, to your facility. Like you have been doing ongoing maintenance, and everything is in real working order. You've got those two things. Um, from from just a straight production business side. Okay, the next thing that you need to have is you need to have wine that is what what we call in the industry clean. It needs to be good wine, and so it needs to be free of faults because faults are a wine making problem that make the wine not taste good to consumers. They also Wine that has faults has no value to a buyer. So if I've got a whole bunch of wine in tank, but that wine has faults, that wine has no value to seller. So yeah. it's bad. Inventory. So it's just bad. Inventory. So got it. I would work with you to fix that, but that takes one to two vintages minimum because you have to get Time. through that wine. Uh, so you do those things and then work to build your wine club. What is you so vintage? What is a vintage? So that's okay. Uh, Sorry about that. Grapes are harvested one time a year in the United States. We okay. We put the number the the vintage, which is the year that you see on the bottle, okay. is based on when we pick those grapes. Okay. So right now, the vintage that is in tanks and and people's wineries is 2022. But what you're seeing coming out in the marketplace would be 2021 and 20. Okay? Got it. So it takes a while. That makes sense. Yeah, thanks. So if you've got – if you want to get there, you've got to get through a couple of vintages, which is years. To, to to get sale ready. Okay. Right. So I need a couple years with you right. to get sale ready. Okay. And and during that time you're gonna work on on faults. You're gonna work on on how to improve cash flow and how to shore up the the online, the uh right. wine club and, 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 and taste. Right. And I do right? it, it at it this depends level. on okay. what people need, but some of it uh, I come on site. So I would come on site and we'd taste through all your wine every single thing you have and we would talk about what's going on where you need to go uh and what and how you get there uh and then some of it is one hour sessions where we talk on the phone and you say okay genevieve this is what i've been doing this is where i am and and i say okay well here's your next steps like this is where you need to concentrate what questions do you have? How can I help you understand? And then, and then you, as as the winery owner, you then have to execute. 
Got it. Okay. So, so I guess, and I, I always kind of conclude every podcast with, you know, what is the, the one piece of advice that you would give that would have the most impact on somebody's business? And I'm assuming it's so preparing, but I may be have, wrong. If you want to go into this industry or you're in this industry, if you've got a winery, you want to start a winery. The most important thing that you can do is fully understand, write down, and encompass what is the experience you're creating. How and how are you creating it with every single thing you do? That is, in this industry, that is going to be the most impactful for your business in the wine industry. Awesome. So... Uh, how number one how 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 do people connect with you and number two how 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 does your process work? so how do, uh, I, how do i work the, with Genevieve? the best way is my website it's winery.consulting is my website okay so or if you go to google and that you type in winery consultant i'm at the top of the list that is the easiest way to find me. And then you, and then you go on my contact page and say, and it sends me an email and says, Genevieve, here's what I've got. Let's connect. And then we set up an, a one hour phone call or video conference. And that's the way that it okay. usually it one hour works and people, you know, they say like, this is what I need. And I'll, and we'll decide, like, am I the right person for you? Because it's important to me that we get the right fit. And then it. go forward, and, and it depends on what you need. You know, sometimes people need hourly work. Sometimes they mean they need it. me on site for a day, two days a week. Uh, I'm flexible in that. Uh, and, and then we go from there. Yeah. Okay, so you scope the work, and and this is what I need. You scope it. This is this is how this is kind of the mechanics of and the deliverables. Yeah, and, and that's and you that's my there. background too. So with Genevieve, I, that's exactly to, what I do. <laughs> it's like here's my deliverables. Here's my right on. Here's the step of the project. Well, this is how much it costs. Like that's what I do. <laughs> uh, I get you. Well, Genevieve, I'm telling you, I, I there's I've. This will probably be we're probably bumping up into eighty episodes, and I I have normally I, I'm 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 fairly versed at at a lot of the, the things that I'm talking about, but you you enlighten me so much about 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 how this this world works, and and my my buddy John is uh you know he's he's our he's our wine guy, you know you 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 were talking about the experience, he's the guy that. No, no one knows what we're, we're to drink other than him, and he 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 hooks us up every time. And so, so I'm so grateful that you you have now given me something to talk to him about <laughs> because this is awesome. And and I'm certain that the our listeners have have learned a lot because what a unique business. I, you you everybody you know everybody drinks a lot of wine. Yeah, and to learn how how this is made and and the mechanics behind it, I, I hope I hope we'll we'll find some some people that are that are willing to to give it a go and get get into this industry. So thanks thanks for all your time. It, it, I know we went long, and I'm I'm certainly grateful 
you know, that you, that you were willing to well, it was take a couple was extra a minutes with me. With you. And I, you know, since I love what I do and I love the industry that I'm in, it's really easy to talk about it. Yeah. Well, you, you, you made it super easy for someone like me to understand it. And, and, and if I, if I can understand it, others will too. So I, I have everything, everything about you will be in the show notes. So, so don't hesitate to, uh, you know, those of you listening, don't hesitate to, to look to the show notes because everything that we've talked about and more will be, will be there. So, all right. Well, Genevieve, thank you so much. And I am so happy. Oh, it was a pleasure. We finally got together. Very happy to be on your show. And, uh, and it was fun. Right on. Thank you for joining us today on the how to sell your business podcast. If you want more episodes packed with strategies to help sell your business for the maximum value, visit howtosellabusinesspodcast.com for tips and best practices to make your exit life-changing. Better yet, subscribe now so you never miss future episodes. This program is copyrighted by MISO Inc. All rights reserved.